بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ارسل الله تعالى بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا داعيا الى الله باذنه وسراجا منيرا وقال تعالى يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون وقال يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله قولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وقال نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه واله وسلم ان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه واله وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدع وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار يا اخوان واخوات الرسول الله مرحبا بكم في بيت الله O brothers and sisters of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam I welcome you to the house of Allah I am not giving you this title Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam gave you this title In a beautiful hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu Rasulullah sallallahu said I wish that i were with my brothers and sisters the sahaba said ya rasulullah are we not your brothers rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said you are my sahaba you are my companions and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you a special status because of that but my brothers and sisters are those who will believe in me who will come after you who will believe in me even though they have not seen me i want you to reflect on this and to think about this it is easy for me to say that there is no greater honor than this we all know this here in the head but what matters is whether we know it here in the heart intellectually understanding something knowing something is the first step nothing wrong with that but that does not change lives lives change when that descends from the head to the heart when you feel it when you judge yourself by it time for salah and i am reluctant because i am watching a game and i remember i am the brother of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi hey so how can this game delay my salah i'm not saying miss the salah you will not miss the salah 
but delay the salah. How can you do that? For the brother of Rasulullah Sallallahu I want to talk about somebody. Something negative about somebody. Instantly. I am the brother of Rasulullah Subhanallah. Can I make khibah? Hey? It's possible that the brother of Rasulullah the sister of Rasulullah is doing khibah, is lying, is cheating. Is dealing in interest, drinking alcohol, gambling, buying and selling stuff which is haram. Is this is this possible? Eh? I have the fear if I don't sell haram, my business will shut down. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi I worship the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he promised to feed me. And shaitan tells me, he cannot do that unless you deal in haram. And I am the brother and sister of Rasulullah Who do I believe? Kalamullah or Kalamu shaitan? That is what I mean by saying, let it sink inside. We are on the series of lectures on the rights of Rasulullah on us and as I remind myself and you, the issue about rights is that we are obliged to fulfill them and if we do not fulfill them, we will be questioned by Allah SWT. We ask Allah to save us from questioning and, from, and to save us from punishment. But before we look at the rights of Rasulullah let us see who Muhammad was. So let me introduce you to our Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam whose shafaat we rely on and we beg Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for this shafaat to save us on the Day of Judgment. It is because of this that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala created an entire generation of people who loved him and recorded everything about him with the intention of emulating him and preserving and communicating that memory to generations unborn. It is for that reason that we have the most detailed account of even the smallest details of Rasulullah's appearance and habits, which is not the case with anyone else in the world, including our closest family. Just think about your fathers, think about your mother, think about your spouse, your children. What is the minimum granular detail that you know about them. You will be surprised. If I ask you, your father who passed away, did you know what the bottom of his feet were like? Huh? I'm not saying you should know. I'm saying, did you, do you know this? You might say, well, I don't know, so what? So nothing. But do you know this? They described the bottom of the feet of Rasulullah in a hadith by Abdullah bin by, 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 by Abdullah bin uh, Abbas. 
what the bottom of his feet looked like. If I ask you, your mother, when she clips her nails, what is the order that she follows? If she is following the order of Nabi Sallallahu then you will say it. But if, she, if that is not the case, do you know which finger she be, or thumb she begins with? You don't know that. They recorded that about Rasulullah If I ask you, your mother or your father, how many white hair were there? Your father, how many white hair were there in his head and his beard? Do you know? They counted, actually. What did he eat? What did he like to eat? What did he not like to eat himself, but he did not, uh, he did not prohibit, it, prohibit that for anybody else? I can go on endlessly, read Shamayal Tirmadi. Why? What was the need to record all of these minute details? Because they loved him. Because they wanted to emulate him. Why must I know how he cut his nails? Because this is how I want to cut my nails. Do you know which shoe he put on first and which shoe he took off last? Can you say that about your mother, your father, your wife, your, son, your, your husband, your children? We can we know about him. Why? Because I want to do that. Now think about this. People who recorded all of these details. And remember, not one of these details is part of Aqidah. Not one of these details. Inshallah, if you do it, you get Ajar. But if you don't do it, it will not get you Jahannam. If you do not clip your nails the way Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi used to do that, nothing will happen to you. So Allah will not punish you for that reason. If you do it for that reason, with that niyyah, inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you ajr for this. Allah will, this will come in your scales and you will be rewarded. But if you don't do that, yet the Sahaba recorded every single one of those things. Now ask me, what chance do you think that people who recorded these minute details did not record his explanations of the Quran, his teachings of the, of the deen. What chance is there? You mean to tell me somebody is going to sit there and say, he used to, he, he used to clip his nails, he started with the right index finger, the tashawat finger, and he went all the way to the thumb of the left hand, and then he, last he cut the nail of the thumb of the right hand. He recorded all of this, but what Rasulullah said about Surah Al-Fatiha, he did not record. Is it possible? Does it make sense to you? I'm talking about those who say that the ahadiths were not recorded by the Sahaba. Does not even make logical sense. Forget about history. I will give you history. But forget about history. Even logical sense it does not make. Because you got a bunch of people who are recording every single minute detail. And you mean to tell me the very purpose for which he came into this world, they forgot to record that. They did not record that. They didn't consider that to be important. They considered important which shoe he wore first, but they did not consider important his explanation of the Akhirah. Is it possible? 
think about this because there is a group of people and they have been from the from day one from right from the time of Nabi Sallam who have denied the hadith of Rasulullah Sallam. So let me introduce you to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One of the most beautiful explanations, descriptions, probably the most, was done by a lady by the name of Umma Ma'bad, Atika bint Khalid, Al-Khuzai, radiallahu anha. Her camp was in a place called Qudayd, and when Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, Amr bin Fuhaira, radiallahu anhuma, who was the freed slave of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq Abdullah bin Uraiqat who at that time was not a Muslim and Rasulullah they were on their way hijrah from Makkah to Medina and they stopped at the camp of Umar Ma'bad she was a very generous woman she was known to feed people and give them water and so on and when they stopped there, Abu Bakr asked her if she had any food that they could buy. She said, if I had anything, you would not need to buy it. But there is nothing. Rasulullah noticed a goat which was in one corner in the camp, standing in some shade and looked like it was a thin goat, looked sickly and weak. He asked her, If he could milk the goat. She agreed. She said you can milk the goat. But that goat is dry. There is no milk in this goat. She said if that goat was worth anything. It would have gone with the flock. With my husband who was taken for grazing. Nabi Sallallahu said no let me milk. If you don't mind. She said no go ahead. He asked for a container. She brought a big bowl. Rasulullah passed his hand on the udder of the goat. He said Bismillah. And he started milking the goat, the whole bowl filled up with milk. He gave the bowl to Umm Ma'bad anha. she drank her fill, then it was given to Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu. then it was given to Amr bin Fuhaira, then to uh, Al-Uraiqat, and then Rasulullah finally drank his fill, then he filled the bowl, he milked it again, it filled the bowl again, and they all drank again, and then he milked the goat for a third time and the bowl filled up once more and he left the bowl with Umm Radhi'lana. Then they left. When Umm Abad's husband Al-Akhtam bin Abi Al-Jawn Al-Khuzai Radhi'lana, when he returned from his Grazing of the flock, he saw this bill, he said, where is this from? And she explained and told him the whole story. She said, describe to me the Nabi of Allah. And she described. And he said that if I meet him, I will follow him. And later they both went to Medina and they, she accepted Islam there itself, but they both went to Medina and he accepted Islam there. Now what did she say to him? To her husband. She said, I saw a man who was distinctly handsome and of a beautiful countenance. He is well built, neither blemished by a big belly nor disfigured by an unusually small head. The pupils of his eyes are very dark 
his eyelashes are very long and the area around the pupils is extremely white. His eyebrows are perfectly close, he has very dark hair, a rather long neck and a thick beard. When he is silent, he is ever contemplative and when he speaks, eminence and splendor exhibit in his words. His words are like sliding stringed pearls. He is a gifted orator whose words are neither too few nor too many. He has the clearest voice and the most audible as he speaks. When you look at him from afar, he is the most handsome of all people. And when you move close to him, he is the most pleasant of them. You will, be never, you will never be tired of looking at him. He is like a branch between two branches. He is the most handsome of the three and the most important of them. He has companions who honor him. When he speaks, they listen to his words. And when he commands, they hasten to carry out his orders. They serve and gather around him. He neither frowns nor nags. This is the description of Rasulullah by Umm Abad and I want you to think about this and try to imagine and I make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should show you Rasulullah in your dream insha'Allah. أقول قولي هذا استغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا فما بعد فقال تعالى إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد. My brothers and sisters, I want you to consider this another thing, which is the statement of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, where He defined the role of Rasulullah and He began by naming Rasulullah as His ni'mah, as His special blessing. It's a point to note that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used this term, his ni'mah, only for Rasulullah The ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are uncounted. There is no count to the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called only his Nabi alayhi salam as the ni'mah. Allah said, لَقَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ بَعَسَ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ يَتْلُوْ عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ وَإِنْ كَانُوا مِنْ قَبْلُ لَفِي ضَلَالٍ مُبِينٍ Allah Ta'ala said, which means indeed, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala has conferred a great favor, a blessing, a ni'mah on the believers when he sent among them a messenger, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, from among themselves reciting unto them his ayat 
the Quran and purifying them, yuzakkihim by purifying them, tasqiyatun nafs wa tarbiyatul akhlaq, external and internal purity and teaching them by yu'allimuhumul kitab and teaching them the book wal hikmah and the hikmah which is the wisdom and the sunnah of Rasulullah sallam. And Allah said, He reiterated and He said, before this, in kanu min qablu lafi dalalim mubin, before this they were in manifest error. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly defined the role of Rasulullah as being a combination of four separate things. Each of it being critical to the ultimate objective which was to enable people to practice and live by Islam. Islam is a way of life which is the way and was the way of Muhammad That is what we know as the Sunnah. The Sunnah is the Quran in practice. It is a practical demonstration of the tafsir of the Quran. However, since we have become used to dealing in words alone and getting lost in them without being concerned about their practice, we do not find anything illogical about ignoring the actions that the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demand. Allah said about preserving the Quran, Inna nahnu nazzalna dhikra wa inna lahu lahafizun. Verily we and this is the royal we of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is we who have sent down the dhikr, which is the Quran. And surely we will guard it from corruption. Now ask yourself that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described the role of Rasulullah as being four things. To recite the ayat of Allah. To prepare people to receive those ayat by purification of them internally explicitly by explaining and teaching the implication and meaning of those ayat and demonstrating how they are to be lived by, how is it possible that he, Jalla Jalaluhu, when it came to preserving them, would preserve only the recitation and nothing else? Does it make sense? So in effect, we are saying that those who claim that the only the Quran is pre- preserved, as in the Mus'haf, then they are saying, for example, by this statement, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Aqimu Salah, this is preserved. Right? Nothing has been, Aqimu Salah, preserved. What is this Salah? How is this Salah to be done? Not preserved. What must be, how many times a day? We don't know. What must be recited? We don't know. How is it to be done? Not preserved. Does it make sense? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, pay zakat. Preserved. How much zakat? We don't know. On what? We don't know. Who is it liable on? We don't know. Who should get it? We don't know. Allah said fast in Ramadan. What breaks a fast? We don't know. What must I do if the fast is broken? We don't know. When does it start? When does it end? We don't know. Does it make sense? Allah said, make hajj to the house of Allah. So I say, okay, Quran is preserved. Allah said, hajj to the house of Allah. What is the house of Allah? What is the house of Allah? The Kaaba, right? Where is the Kaaba? Is it, is it in uh, Arafat? In Makkah, right? In the middle of the Masjid Hara? Okay, so Allah said, make hajj to the house of Allah. So I am going for hajj. And I don't know anything about haram and all this stuff. I mean, I, I, I like my clothes. I, I wear my comfortable clothes. I will go and I will stand next to the Kaaba. I will make tawaf. And I say, this is hajj. Is it hajj? 
I'll tell you, Allah said in the Quran, make, ha make Hajj to the, the house of Allah. Allah did not say anything about Haram. Allah did not say anything about anything. He said, make Hajj to the house of Allah. I'm making Hajj to the house of Allah. You told me it is the Kaaba. I'm going to the Kaaba. So what's the problem? Anybody who's telling you that the ahadith of Rasulullah were not preserved is saying what, is effectively saying what I just said to you. Which all of you can have a big laugh about it if you like. This is Juma, so don't make a big laugh. But point being, that is how insane it is. You reject the hadith, you can say salam alaikum to Islam. That's the end of the story. This is what the Orientalists tried to do. And I'm sorry to say, I'm ashamed to say that they were successful. Because many of our brothers and sisters who don't read history got blown away by the claims of the Orientalists. Semi-final and final thing. Semi-final thing is this. Even the Orientalists. I have heard many and read many statements of Orientalists who say that the Ahadiths were only collected. Please notice my words. They were collected only 150 years later, 300 years later. What is the word they are using? What's the word? Collected. So if I say to my brother here, Abdul Azim, please collect the pearls in this room. Please go ahead, do that. All of you, right? Please collect the pearls in this room. Can you do it? Yes or no? No, why not? Why not? Because there are no pearls in the room. Why you can't collect pearls from this room is because there are no pearls in this room. Supposing I tell you, please collect the red colored chairs in this room. Is it possible? Yes. Why? Because there are red colored chairs. So if somebody says the hadiths were collected, what does it mean? It means they were there. So you want to say on the one hand that the Sahaba never recorded the hadiths. On the other hand, you say somebody, Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and so on, they collected from where? If the Sahaba never recorded, how could somebody have collected? Final point. May Allah bless him, one of my dearest friends and one of my teachers, Sheikh Akar Manadwi. Dan Barkatum used to be the, uh, he, was, he, was, he used to teach professor of Islamic studies in Oxford, in England. One day he had a Discussion with one of, one of the Orientalists in Oxford. And the man said to him that Islam prevents and oppresses women and prevents women from education. Akram Nadvi said, this is false, this is rubbish. Islam does not do that. The man said to him, find me the names of five women scholars of Islam and I will eat my words. Five. Sheikh Agram said, I said, I, I said, I took the chance. I said, I will do it. He said, when I started researching under the topic of women scholars of Islam, he said, I found so many that I decided that this is not a research project. I cannot possibly count the number of women scholars of Islam, meaning scholars of Quran, scholars of Hadith, scholars of Tafsir, scholars of Fiqh, and so on and so on. He said, they're just too many. I, I can't. He said, I decided I am going to narrow down on one topic only. 
So he said, I am going to find women scholars of hadith only. So he's not talking about the mufassirat and he's not talking about the women scholars of tajweed, not talking about women, the, the, the scholars of fiqh, only muhadithat, only the women scholars of hadith. Right? How many was he supposed to find? Five. Sheikh Akram uh, Nadwi finally, I think it was last year or the year before last, published a book in 40 volumes, 4-0, with, with small brief biographies of 9,000 muhadithat, women scholars of hadith. And he told me the only reason it is 40 is because my publisher told me, you are crazy, nobody will read more than this. It's 40 volumes. Who reads more than 40 volumes? Eventually that book was published by the government of Morocco. May Allah bless them. There are more. But he said, I've got 9,000. 9,000 detail and this has typical, it has, it has typical documents like class registers and the ijaza that the women scholars gave to some of the most famous of men scholars who studied under the women scholars. That's a different thing altogether. Today, we, you don't even want women to come into your masjid. Ummah Darda radiallahu anha used to sit on the mimbar and give dars of hadith. And the men would be in front of her and the women would be behind her. And when it was time for salah, one time, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, uh, Ibn al-Malik was there, the Khalifa. Abdul Malik Khalifa was there and he came and led salah. This is Ummah Darda, the Sahabi, Sahabiya of Rasulullah That's a different thing altogether. Of how these women scholars were not only scholars, they not only taught, but they traveled from land to land. And they taught men who they gave ijazah for in teaching Islam. Documented evidence. I want to end with this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us two things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, مَن يُتِهِ الرَّسُولَ فَقَدْ أَطَاءَ اللَّهِ وَمَن تَوَلَّا فَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ عَلَيْهِمْ حَفِيظًا Allah said, he who obeys the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi has indeed obeyed Allah. But he who turns away, then he, then we have not sent you, ya Muhammad sallallahu alayhi as a watcher over that person. You are free from blame. And for those who obey and those who emulate, may Allah make us all among them, inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهَ فَاتَّبِعُونِ يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهُ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ دُنُوبَكُمْ وَاللَّهُ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah said, say, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if you really love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then follow me, emulate me, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will love you and forgive your sins. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is oft forgiving and most merciful. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jala jalalu to be pleased with you and never to be displeased. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enter all of you in that group which Rasulullah called his brothers and sisters. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help you in ways that you cannot imagine. To solve your problems before they become problems. To save you and protect you in all ways and from all things that you and I cannot possibly know and which only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us in ways 
that we cannot imagine to keep us in Islam, to keep us on Tawheed, to keep us with istiqama on, on the Siratul Mustaqim and to take us in that state when He is pleased with us. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant all of you Ramadan al-Kareem, which is two, three weeks from now, in a state of good Iman and health and time and energy to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make Allah, may Allah make that Ramadan, make this Ramadan the best ever Ramadan of your life, inshallah, and many more to come. Wa sallallahu ala nabil kareem wa ali wa sahabi ajma'in. Ya ibadallah, rahimakumullah, inna Allah ya'amuru bil adli wal ihsan wa itaizi al-qurba wa anhali al-fahshai wa al-munkari wa al-baghi. Ya'izukum la'allakum tazakkaroon. Udhkurullah yazkurkum. Udhu yastajib lakum. Wala dhikrullah yakbar. Wallahu ya'alamu ma'a tasna'oon. Aqibu